Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Business Lens Broadcast on WKXL. Available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson. I'm joined, as always, by Chris Hill, the host of Motley Fool Money, the number one stock investing radio show in America. Chris Hill, welcome back. Good to be here. It's good to see you and talk to you on, I, I guess we'd call it fun news upswing week. Um, there's just a, a, a sprinkling of fun, great reopening related news in the financial business and economic sector. Uh, and I'd like to just run through a smattering of it with you. Uh, see what your take is. It's, it's, it's all kind of interesting little nuggets this week. Yeah, it's, um, you know, what's the saying? The like things happen in threes. Like I, I, you know, it's we got a little bit more than that this week, and um, it's you know part of looking at the economy is looking. It's kind of like putting a puzzle together, and anytime you get pieces from different parts of the economy um, that are moving in the same direction, um, I, I think that's that's always a positive thing. Right. I think that's that's actually a great overarching theme for this week is each of these stories, not the be all and end all of the financial world in and of itself, but they do connect to other dots in what is a larger picture. All right. Dot number one, Uber just had a record month in March. What's up with that, Chris Hill? How does that connect to the big story? Well, so we've here's something we've heard a lot from businesses across all kinds of industries is we hear the latest numbers, whether it's the latest quarterly numbers or in the case of Uber, and we hear this from retailers, we hear monthly numbers. And you hear a lot of couching of those numbers. I shouldn't say couching because that almost has a negative connotation. You, you hear companies giving the context that it's like, hey, this is just, uh, this is not all time. This is just in the last 12 months. This is just since the pandemic started. Um, and in the case of Uber, Uber had a record month for gross bookings, one of their key metrics, just in, you know, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's like how many people are booking a ride on Uber and it's an all-time record. It's not since the pandemic started. It's not just in the last six months or whatever. This is all time. So even go back to pre-pandemic. Um, so this is, you know, this is great uh, for the ride-sharing economy, obviously, of which Uber is a big part of, but um, you know, you and I have talked a lot recently about the great reopening, and Uber is one of those businesses that ties directly into it. It's people getting out of their homes and going from point A to point B, and uh, you know, I'll be curious to see as we um, get ready to kick off earnings season over the next few weeks. I'll be curious to see what sort of quarterly numbers they put up. I'll be looking for the same sort of thing out of Lyft which is one of their big competitors. But like you said, Matt, I mean, this is, uh, this is one of those things. I mean, sometimes, look, I've said before, investing is as simple or as complicated as you want to make it. 
um, a lot of times I look to <laughs> I like to look at things just in terms of the plus column and the minus column. This is one of those things that goes in the plus column. It's a plus if you're an Uber shareholder, which I am not, but it's a plus just if you're someone who's looking for America to get back to the way it was before the pandemic. In terms of connecting to that bigger story, last week you said that one of the things, maybe I'm going to rain a little bit on the parade here uh, for Uber and Lyft and, the, and these other rideshare companies, but you said that in general across the economy, one of the elements that might tap the brakes, to use another auto metaphor, on the great reopening is inability to staff up quickly enough, that it's a lot easier and uh, more depressing to shed jobs than to rehire rapidly. Is that the case with Uber? Could that, could this really positive news for them have a little bit of a downside? Absolutely. I think it was on last week's show we talked about, uh, or maybe the week before we talked about Delta Airlines having to cancel a hundred flights over a single weekend simply because they didn't have the staff on hand. Uber has to ramp back up in terms of their driver capacity. Um, they talked about doing their own sort of, you know, the, their own Uber version of a stimulus plan to get drivers back into vehicles. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly they can scale back up, but it's, it's absolutely a challenge. Um, you know, it's, it's the proverbial good problem to have, right? We have so much demand for what we're doing that we need to get even more people on our team to help us deliver the thing that, uh, that we're offering to people. So if they can do it, then it bodes even better for them. Speaking of pulling out little data nuggets to try and get a sense of the big picture, you sent one my way that I'm not going to even characterize it too much. It's, it, it's, it's a great little nugget. You say, you tell me, Chris Hill, that snack sales in North America are significantly up. What's that number and what does it mean? I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the, um, the research firm that came up with this, um, but uh, snack sales in North America in 2020 rose 11%. Now, you and I have been talking a lot about um, companies where their stocks have gone up 50% in a year. Sometimes they've doubled in a year. So I totally understand anyone who's listening and saying, oh, 11%. I mean, that, that doesn't sound like a big number. In and of itself, it's not a big number. In terms of continental snack sales growth, it is an enormous number because typically, and when we're talking about snacks, we're talking about the salty snacks that we love to have. Typically when we're watching a Celtics game, um, chips, pretzels, all that sort of thing. Typically snack sales, if they grow in a single year, they are growing low to mid single digits. We're talking 3%, 4%. God forbid if Frito-Lay, which is part of the Pepsi Corporation, if Frito-Lay ever grew snack sales 5% in a single year, they'd be throwing themselves a parade. So the fact that snack sales are up 11% in 2020 tells me, oh, good, it's not just me. It's not just me who was getting through the pandemic by eating his feelings with salty snacks. There are a lot of us doing that. Now, you and your other expert colleagues at The Motley Fool definitely preach the gospel of long-term investing, long-term vision, value investing, looking at fundamentals. So I'm going to advance a short-term market thesis that is sure to be wrong. 
What I am about to offer is just for Chris Hill to rip it apart. It is not for her listeners to necessarily invest on the basis of my wild speculations. But let me run a thesis by you. If, as you say, the data supports the idea that Americans are snacking a lot more over the course of the last year, I think that makes sense. I mean, look, online, the idea of a COVID-15 is definitely a thing. And if we're seeing a movement toward a great reopening, a ton of pent up energy to get out, get active, do more stuff. Is this a good time to be a fitness company, a gym company, something that would maybe help people work off all of those snacks and that COVID-15? It's a great question because I think that for a lot of businesses, you know, like Planet Fitness, which is a, a publicly traded company, um, gym memberships all over the country, um, a lot of those businesses are still beholden to what are the regulations in the state? Um, is, is the city that we're operating in, the state that we're operating in, are they going to let us open to full capacity or do we have to keep it smaller? Uh, certainly the warmer weather helps those businesses because um, if they have the parking lot space, and I've seen this in the DC area, I've seen this in the Boston area, they're opening up in the parking lot and they're running their, um, you know, their Peloton-like classes outside or their you know, um, uh, hot yoga, all those sorts of things. Um, I, I do think that is sort of a longer term play, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you want to connect the two, uh, you know, people like me who have been snacking a lot, I mean, I know I need to lose a few pounds. So getting outside and exercising, uh, would, would be a good thing. Um, but I, I, I think that it's, it's a little bit more complicated for the planet fitnesses of the world, um, just because they got to make sure they're in compliance with state regulations. Well, maybe for your Nikes, your Reeboks, your Under Armors, you look at a data point like this and you're not exactly upset. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, and I'll bring it back to snacks in a second, but I think that, you know, we saw this with the apparel companies a year ago where a lot of colleges and high schools and youth sports were put on hold. And so um, the, the cleats uh, that people had to buy the equipment they had to buy it was lasting them longer the refresh cycle wasn't as quick and so i think that as more sports open back up again that definitely helps the apparel companies whether it's nike or under armor or adidas um, and to to bring it back to snacks and uh and and beverages keep in mind that a big part of coca-cola's beverage business and pepsi's beverage and snack business is sporting venues and concert venues and that a big part of that you know what they refer to as their um i think they call it away from home i think that's the technical designation of those business units within pepsi and coca-cola the away from home parts of those businesses got crushed last year so uh, there's a good chance they open back up in a big way in 2021 isn't the most profitable segment for the Coca-Colas of the world, the in-restaurant sales that, that come from this, the syrup, which is like, you know, talk about pennies on, on the dollar. It, 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 I think that's where they get a, a lot of their margin, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The, the profit margin on fountain drink sales, uh, whether it's at a, a burger place like Five Guys or, you know, any sort of in-restaurant, in-stadium, the profit margins on that are a lot better than buying a six-pack. Wow. Well, um, again, you know, maybe we're over 
extending from a few little data points, but that's what the, the ripples from that, that snack data, I, I just find fascinating for all of these reasons that it kind of leads to all of these uh, waterfall effects that you could see throughout other companies and the rest of the economy. Speaking of which, let's pluck another little data point here. You pointed out to me a little earlier that Microsoft just bought a barely profitable voice recognition company in Burlington, Massachusetts for $16 billion. First of all, I would like to just express once again that I've probably gone into the wrong line of work. I feel uh, terrible about this on a personal level, but I'm very, very happy for these folks in Burlington, Massachusetts. So Chris Hill, another little data point. What's up with this story and what does it mean? Nuance Communications is the name of the company in Burlington, and they have some really interesting technology. Uh, they just really weren't able to turn it into a huge profit-generating machine. This is voice recognition software. I first bumped into Nuance Communications as a business uh, over a decade ago when one of my coworkers was telling me about it, and he was laying it out as... You know, the, a, a great version of this software is if you need to write an email or you need to, uh, you know, if you're a student, you need to write a paper, you can do the first draft of it just by dictating, just by saying it out loud. And it uh, kind of like with um, an iPhone, if you say, hey, you ask Siri a question or you ask Siri to send a text message to someone, it's a long form version of that. But again, uh, as big as this company got, and they got to be a, a $10 billion company, which is no small feat, with thousands of employees. This is a company that in the, the fourth quarter of 2020, they made a profit of just $7 million against overall revenue of $350 million. Again, I know we're talking about millions of dollars, but in the world of technology, that's just not an enormous profit. And Microsoft clearly looked at this business and said, we like the technology. We, Microsoft, we've got the cash. Microsoft has $130 billion in cash on their balance sheet. So did they overpay for nuanced communications? Probably, but they wanted the technology. They're gonna put it to work within the healthcare segment of Microsoft's uh, software product suite. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that maybe this becomes a much more useful and ubiquitous and helpful for society technology in Microsoft's hands uh, than it's been in nuanced communications hands. Um, but I, I think to me, when I saw it, I, uh, my immediate takeaway was, this is something you and I have been talking about for a while. There's just a lot of money in the market. This is what happens when you have a 10-year bull market in the case of Microsoft, which is a company that does a really good job of turning profits and building up that cash balance sheet. They're able to overpay and they're able to go in with essentially a, a godfather offer so that there's not a bidding war. It doesn't get dragged out. And they just say, look, this is what we want to offer to buy your company. Let's get this deal done and let's start making the world a better place. That's a really interesting layer of nuance that you add there that perhaps in a market awash in money and with big companies with wads of cash on their balance sheets, 
you shouldn't overinterpret the significance of any one move, any one acquisition. But it does seem, at least as a top line matter, that what Microsoft is signaling here is a big bet on voice recognition technology and maybe finding new innovative use cases to incorporate into some of their other products. I can, it's interesting you mentioned health. I mean, a few years ago, my wife was a physician. One of the banes of the existence of, of doctors is getting all their notes into electronic medical records. And there are 16 different major electronic medical records out there and no, nothing has become a dominant player and they all interface differently. And trying to get your notes in is a real challenge. And I said to her, you know, you can use the feature on the iPhone to dictate at least the base of your note, and then you can edit it in the EMR. And it turned out that that little workaround worked. So it's, it's interesting to me that, that health is one of the applications that you raised there. It seems like Microsoft has got their eye on perhaps that, and maybe a whole host of other places where voice recognition could be a, 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 a technology multiplier. Absolutely. And I, I think it's also worth pointing out, yeah, Microsoft has the cash. This is still the second largest acquisition Microsoft has ever made. Wow. So I, I do think that um, it speaks to where Microsoft sees itself going, where it sees the growth in its own business, but also the way in which technology can improve in the healthcare industry. Absolutely fascinating. One we'll have to keep an eye on. And speaking of keeping an eye on things, you mentioned earlier in the show that earnings season is starting at the end of this week. So what in general, as you pull all these fascinating little nuggets out from the market news, what are you looking for? What should we all keep our eye on? I think there are a couple of things to, to watch for. One is in the retail industry in particular, um, we've seen some phenomenal growth in digital sales, e-commerce numbers. Uh, you and I have talked before about businesses like Walmart and Target that really ramped up um, their digital offerings, their, their platforms, as well as order online and, and pick up in person, curbside pickup, all that sort of thing. Um, those businesses, not just those two, but a lot of uh, retail businesses are coming up on what, uh, what is referred to as tough comps, tough comparisons, um, because when Wall Street analysts are looking at quarterly numbers, they are comparing them to, well, what were the numbers a year ago this time? Yeah, you want to look at the trend line of quarter over quarter, but they tend to look in terms of year over year. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how some of these retailers do in terms of year-over-year year, uh, numbers with e-commerce. Um, some of them um, might see some slowing growth. Uh, some of them uh, might keep the growth going. So I, I, you know, I think it's, it's going to speak to a lot of things, including um, how are these um, business leaders doing in terms of uh, just keeping up both their operations and their staff. I mean, you know, what you and I talked about earlier in terms of Delta Airlines and Uber, you know, they had to lay a lot of people off and, and that sort of thing. I think in some ways the major retailers have had the opposite problem, which is they brought on a lot of people, but a lot of those frontline workers um, are really burnt out. And so a, a, a lot of the businesses, including 
Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Lowe's, I think have done a great job of providing performance bonuses, you know, recognizing that. Uh, but I'm going to be interested to see how they do both in terms of the digital sales, but also just the, um, how are these enormous companies doing? How are, how is their workforce? How are people doing? Because I think a lot of people, and that means a lot of employees are probably more burnt out or close to being burnt out um, than they realize. The other thing I'm just interested in as a general trend is company guidance because companies will come out with their quarterly earnings report. And in normal times, companies will give guidance to Wall Street analysts about this is what we think we're going to do over the next quarter, over the next fiscal year, that sort of thing. A year ago, because of the pandemic, almost every company across the board stopped giving guidance because there was so much uncertainty and everyone got a pass and rightfully so. But it's a year later, the great reopening is happening and it's only getting bigger. And Matt, I think what we're gonna see is companies coming out and giving guidance and competitors within that same industry will not give guidance and they're gonna get punished by Wall Street analysts as a result of that. Um, I think it's totally fine if a company comes out and says, hey, we didn't give guidance for the past year and we really liked it. We enjoyed not giving guidance and we're not going to ever give it again. That's totally fine. But the old adage that the market hates uncertainty is true for a reason. And I think companies that sort of hem and haw on guidance are going to get punished. As you describe what you're looking for, it strikes me that there are some differences in the way you look at earnings season and the way the Wall Street Journal would look at it. You're not as interested, it sounds like, in the top line. The way you look at it, and perhaps other people at The Motley Fool, is more aligned with what are the longer-term trends that these earnings reports speak to in terms of what's the state of your workforce? What's the state of your culture? How are you handling your vision for the market in the future? Is that right? Or is there, are there other pieces that kind of fit in with that? You're absolutely right. And, you know, a, a glib way of putting it is a, a lot of things that we look at in terms of earnings reports is, does this matter? Like, is, like in terms of the overall thesis for the growth story for this business, does this really matter? Sometimes there are little bumps in the road for even the greatest of companies. Um, Apple's, you know, the, the, the behemoths out there and Apple's headquarters where they stumbled. Uh, but the long term trend was always great for Apple. Chris Hill, the host of Motley Fool Money, the number one stock investing radio show in America. I'm Matt Robeson here on Business Lens. We're broadcast on WKXL, available in the Beyond Politics podcast feed. You can find more about all of our shows at beyondpoliticspodcast.com. Beyond Politics.